Thor 11 Thunder is inspiring lots of different opinions, and I've got my spoiler-filled breakdown of the entire movie right now. Hello everybody and welcome to my spoiler review for Thor Love and Thunder. If you have not seen my non-spoiler thoughts, if you haven't seen the movie yet, you can click the little thing up in the corner to see what I thought without giving away any plot details because we're going to go deep into the twists and turns. If you saw my previous review, you know that I was somewhat positive on it, but I had some issues and a lot of stuff that I really couldn't go into in a non-spoiler setting. So let's take a deep dive into Thor Love and Thunder, what I liked, what worked, what didn't work, and everything else. So when I say that I was somewhat positive, it's because I, I didn't dislike the movie in general, and it's largely because you have a very likable cast. You have people like Chris Hemsworth and Natalie Portman, and even Taika Waititi as Korg, who are comfortable in their roles. They bring a lot of natural charisma, and it was one of those things where I, I couldn't quite put my finger on necessarily anything wrong with their acting, but it's tough when you're in the middle like this to decide, am I going positive? Am I leaning negative? Because I was sort of in the middle leaning negative on Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, I'm really not that far away on Thor Love and Thunder. I just lean a little bit more positive. And that's why I talk about sort of the binary nature of something like Rotten Tomatoes. It doesn't really account for the people that are in the middle like I am because it's basically a drastic difference if you look at, you know, splat versus fresh tomato, but it's not that much of a difference in opinion. So I'm, I'm very much in the middle on this film. And I think it kind of started really early on when we talk about Jane Foster. Jane is returning to the MCU. I know that she was in Avengers Endgame, but Natalie Portman really coming back to the MCU for the first time in a really long time. And this should be a big moment, but instead we're just kind of dropped in the middle of her story. It's like, hey, remember Jane Foster? She's dying of cancer. No buildup, no nothing. And I felt the same way with Jane's transformation into the mighty Thor. In like 15 minutes, it's like, here's Jane Foster. She has cancer. She's doing research. She's an Asgard. Here's Mjolnir. It's reforged and now she's Thor. And it's like, this feels like it, it's something that should have been like the first act of a movie to set up to really do this story justice. And I think that's part of it. Really, the Jane Foster Mighty Thor story could have and maybe should have been its own movie. And the Gore the God Butcher story could have and maybe should have been its own movie. And the whole thing with Zeus and the Olympians could have and maybe should have been its own movie. And I'll break down a little bit more as we go about that. But it seems like all of the different storylines were kind of rushed. And Jane's especially because it's so impactful to the overall mythology of this series. If you would have had a first act where Thor and Jane haven't seen each other and, you know, there's a bit of an alienation there and she's sick and her last refuge is to go to New Asgard and see if they have anything that can help her and you get this reunion of them before she's Thor and this kind of mending of fences, maybe Thor's the one? That remembers that he whispered this incantation to Mjolnir. Maybe he kind of figures out that he could try to hook Jane up with the hammer and maybe this will heal her. So it's more of a thing of them together instead of Jane just kind of going on on her own. I feel like it was it, this is a running thing with this movie that it was structured in just such a way so that you can have that comic moment where Thor's just like, Jane, oh, you're Thor now? And I don't think that the comedy in that moment justified cutting Thor out of that buildup completely. 
And this is an, an example, I think, where they they went for some moments in this movie over better storytelling. So uh, that really felt like a rushed beat to me. I wanted this buildup to Jane being Thor instead of it's just like, here she is, she's Thor now. There are a couple of pre-Thor Jane moments that I thought uh, were kind of amusing. One of them is the, I was going talking about in my Stranger Things review about how I was worried they were going to use the uh, pencil through the piece of paper uh, metaphor for like how a wormhole works. And here we got it in this movie the next week. Jane does the put the pen through the piece of paper and yes she calls out the fact that it was in Interstellar and Event Horizon but like part of it is like well does calling out that it's a cliche excuse the fact that you included the same cliche in this movie I, I think that the joke might have worked for some people but for me it was like oh once again here's the pen pencil through the paper thing another thing that was funny and I'm not saying like oh the movie sucks because of it it's just something that I noticed and a lot of it was because of my editor's brain way back when WandaVision came out in the first few episodes whenever they brought Kat Dennings in uh, I noticed that there was a very obvious Frito-Lay Baked Lay's product placement, like right in the front of the shot. And I mentioned it in my review um, of the episode at the time. And then it's funny because Kat Dennings comes back in this movie and here she is. She's got an armload of potato chips, including the Baked Lay's. So it's like, wow, Darcy really loves Baked Lay's. Of course, this was a paid product placement and a pretty obvious one. But the thing that kind of added to it was uh, there was a continuity error. So you show Darcy and she's got like the yellow bag of baked lays and then there's a wide shot and there's no yellow bag to be found anywhere in the shot just a bunch of other uh, Frito-Lay products and then it's like Jane and you see the yellow bag and then you go back to the wide shot and the yellow bag is back it's one of those continuity things that like you would think with the computer wizardry that we have today you could fix it but I think the potato chip era may just be something uh, for the ages but that that baked lays uh, thing it's just like I guess because Marvel like they do a lot of product placement but not a lot of them are that obvious and this one really stood out to me. So let's talk a little bit about Christian Bale as Gore the God Butcher. I mentioned in my non-spoiler review that I, I thought that his performance was really good. He was a very sadistic performance. I thought he was a very scary villain. But he also felt a little bit like a villain from a different movie. This was a pretty lighthearted romp. And then you cut to this sadistic horror movie villain who's like slaughtering gods to avenge his dead child. I thought that the shadow creatures were really well designed and executed and a very creepy thing uh, for Thor and the other Asgardians to have have to fight but I generally did have issues with the contrasting tones of this movie and it, it, it hurt me a little bit on Thor Ragnarok I've always liked that movie but didn't love it as much because I thought some of the humor felt a little bit out of place here tonally I just thought the movie was all over the place and I know I say that a lot but I think that it's also true a lot particularly of recent stuff from Marvel uh, you I think you could have a movie that's very dark and sort of more Thor the Dark World ish that is about Gore the God Butcher and I think that you could also have a more lighthearted movie that could still get serious with Jane's illness and everything with the Mighty Thor storyline but by trying to sort of mash them both together I think we were just sort of listing all over the place and it's like where do you put the horror where do you put the humor I don't think that it was all put necessarily in the right place and the end result really is that both storylines ended up getting short shrift in the storytelling Gore is basically a boogeyman until the end of the movie and then we have to take a hard emotional turn with him uh, in order to justify him not doing what he says he's going to do, which is to kill all the gods when he reaches eternity. And this movie has a lot of hard emotional turns. I mean, the fact that we really don't have 
any Thor wanting a kid's storyline in place or established in previous movies at the beginning of this film. And by the end of it, it's like, it's Thor and his daughter Love and they're a new team. It's love and thunder. First of all, I think that Disney's really leaning into the whole, here's a hero with a kid's sidekick dynamic. We had that with the Mandalorian and the child. We had it with Obi-Wan Kenobi and little Leia. But I guess my biggest problem was number one, there was really no setup for Thor wanting to have a family prior to this movie. And even in this movie, it, it's only mentioned a couple of times. It's not like his overwhelming desire for the entire movie. His desire really is to save Jane. And the daughter stuff seems to just kind of be peppered in there to justify giving him a daughter at the end of the movie. And the other thing is with love, we don't know her. Like she's in the very beginning of the movie and she's literally dead for the entire movie. And then she comes back at the end and we get one cutesy scene where they're like, you better eat those flapjacks. But I feel like to really want this dynamic or to really be excited about it, you needed to know a little bit more about her. And it just felt like both of those things were rushed in order to make room for other stuff that maybe didn't necessarily need to be in the movie, but was more comedic and lighthearted, which seems to be the movie that Taika Waititi wanted to make, but there were some other movies that he also wanted to make that were kind of in there. And maybe a big part of it is that apparently Taika Waititi just shot a whole bunch of stuff and just decided to figure it out in the editing room because reportedly Jeff Goldblum shot stuff for this movie. Peter Dinklage shot stuff for this movie. They were both cut out. Lena Headey is getting sued uh, because she was in this movie and got cut out. And there are other reports from Chris Hemsworth and Taika Waititi saying that the first cut of this movie was four hours long. And you know, there are some movies that do have four hour long first cuts, but they're usually like, three hour long movies. I mean, you know, like Titanic or There Will Be Blood or Gangs of New York. Now there is always a process of a movie where you're going to find it in the edit, but I don't think it's a good idea to basically write this really overly long script and say, well, I'll cut out what I want in the editing room because it's gonna feel kind of like how this movie feels, which is a little choppy and like you're swerving from thing to thing. Either make the longer version of your movie or somebody should have stepped in and said, Taika, I know that you wanna shoot all of this different stuff and see what works best, but maybe you should work on the story a little bit down, pare down what you want in the script and then find that in the editing room because when you shoot all this stuff, I mean, these are not no-name actors. You're shooting stuff with Jeff Goldblum that you don't use or Peter Dinklage that you don't use. That's a waste of time. That's a waste of money. And obviously it's a sign that nobody really had a good handle on what the final story of this movie was going to be. I'm all for creative freedom and I think it's great that Marvel gives a lot of their filmmakers the freedoms to make the movie that they want to make. But I, I think that there is a limit to that. And I really do think, whether it was at a Kevin Feige level or at whatever level, that somebody should have said, hey, listen, you can't go absolutely nuts with this and then just trust that you're going to find the best version of it later on. You really should work a little bit more on what the story is that you're trying to tell. And maybe you pare away a few of the other things and this feels a little bit more cohesive. You could have freed up a lot of time by cutting some of the repeat jokes. For example, the screaming goats. Uh, funny the first time, not really funny the 20th time, especially because it's already based on an internet thing that's been around for several years. So I think you don't have to bring them in throughout the whole movie. Bringing back Matt Damon and the whole actors from the previous movie, that was such a fun surprise in Thor Ragnarok. Here it seemed like a bit of a warmed over comedy bit. And then you bring in Melissa McCarthy as Hela. Like, I don't know, maybe it's a little bit that I'm over a lot of Melissa McCarthy's movies, but I just kind of like, uh, when she came through because it just feels like the obvious joke. 
Like, the funny thing about Matt Damon playing Loki and Sam Neill as Odin in the last movie is that you didn't expect those actors. But, like, if you were going to tell me, like, oh, I'm going to make a bad parody version of The Avengers, who should I get to play Hela? I'd be like, I don't know, probably somebody like Melissa McCarthy. I really think the joke would have worked best if you cut out the stage performance altogether and it's just Matt Damon coming up in the hallway to Valkyrie and saying, like, hey, can we write this as a stage play? And you don't actually see them on stage. I did laugh at the intentionally bad stagecraft. I thought that that was really funny, but then they just kind of kept the joke going and it wasn't quite as funny. So this is a, really a question more than a criticism. And, and anytime this happens to me, like there are people that see these movies two or three times um, on their opening weekend. So perhaps there was a line of dialogue that I missed in the movie that would have explained this. So this is really almost a question to you because I haven't had a chance to go back and see the movie yet. But this whole thing with eternity and the idea that like if you go and you find and touch eternity, then eternity will grant your wish. Why didn't anybody think of this for like the snap for Thanos. I mean, I, I know practically inside the MCU, it's that you hadn't written this movie yet, so nobody quite had this, but like canonically in universe, did anybody bring up the idea of like, hey, you know, we could go find Eternity because if we get to Eternity, we could make whatever wish we want and then we could just say like, hey, I wish that you would undo the snap and then you don't have to worry about getting the Infinity Stones back or killing Thanos again and Hulk doesn't break his arm and Cap doesn't get old. Uh, but I, I'm sure that there was some line of dialogue that makes this a moot point. It's just something that's stuck in my head that I wanted to bring up. I will say the design of Eternity, which I've read some of the comic books that Eternity appears in, was really cool. I think that was an idea of where you can be loyal to the depiction in a comic book, but this is the right movie to have a an entity such as this. I'm still not quite sure how all of the gods, and we've added so many gods now through this and Moon Knight, and now we have Eternity and we have the Eternals. Like, I don't know where all the deities and where you cross the lines and like where does the TVA work into all of this and what universe belongs to what. It's getting very confusing, but the Marvel Universe has always been very sprawling with lots of different magic galaxy beings, etc. So we're just basically reflecting the comic book universe at this point. So let's talk a little bit about Zeus, because as I said, I, I don't really know what Russell Crowe was doing. Several people in my non-spoiler review pointed out that he was doing uh, basically a riff on, I guess, a famous Australian comedy routine that is about somebody with a Greek accent. So he's basically doing an Aussie Greek accent. One thing I do know is that Mara, who does have a lot of Greek ancestry in her family, um, when Russell Crowe started talking, just kind of looked at me like wide-eyed, like, is he serious? Is he really doing this? But I think overall is like when you look at the whole Greek thing, what was the point really? I mean, it's to get the Thunderbolt, but I think you could ride around the Thunderbolt. The Thunderbolt was just a weapon. It really could have been almost anything. And again, when we talk about different movies, you almost have three different Thor movies because I think that there really is an entertaining Thor movie about going to Omnipotent City and meeting Zeus and all these other gods. And like Thor incurs the wrath of these gods. And now you're going to bring in, you know, Zeus and you're going to bring in Hercules. They're now setting up Hercules for a future Thor movie, it appears. Like that almost seems like the third movie. So we have the dark Gore the God Butcher movie. We have the very heartfelt Jane Mighty Thor movie. We have the very comedic Thor uh, Zeus movie. And they're all sort of smashed into one. I will say that Brett Goldstein is Hercules. Not a casting that I would have anticipated, but one that I am not against. I, I, I like Brett Goldstein generally, so if they want to cast him as Hercules in the MCU, I actually didn't really care about that character or to see that character, but that's some casting that's got me interested. And They have a lot of very intriguing casting choices that they're bringing in now in all these post-credit scenes. And Charlize Theron and Harry Styles and Brett Goldstein. I hope they're not just grabbing whoever's popular 
popular in pop culture or social media at the time and being like, hey, do you want to be in a Marvel? I hope that they're actually good for all of these different roles that we're apparently setting up down the line. Before we move on, I want to thank the sponsor for today's video, Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community with thousands of online classes and members across 150 countries who come together for inspiration and new steps in their creative journey. If you're interested in it, Skillshare probably has a class about it from baking to gardening to starting a YouTube channel. I've been an editor on my own and professionally for about 20 years, but I'm always looking to grow and expand what I'm able to do. So I decided to look and see what classes were available on Skillshare to add things to my skill set. And in just one afternoon of going through the classes on Skillshare, I found some great additions to my editor's toolbox. I learned some great new tips for enhancing and mixing the audio on my videos. And I took a class about multi-camera video editing, which is a skill that I knew about on old programs, but had never really had the chance to work with in Adobe Premiere. Now I'm prepared to work on some videos that I've had in the pipeline for a long time entirely because of the skills that I learned through my Skillshare classes. And Skillshare not only offers a huge variety of classes, the platform is now available in French, Spanish, Portuguese, and German. Members can access the entire library of classes with subtitles as well. If you're looking to take the next step and learn something new, the first 1,000 people to use the link in the description below and that you see on screen right now will get a one-month free trial of Skillshare. So hurry up, use that link in the description and on screen, and check out Skillshare today. And I want to thank them for sponsoring today's video. Now, I am aware of, but don't closely follow because I value my sanity, the outraged side of movie discourse. It is a very big part, sadly, of the online, particularly in the YouTube space, uh, movie talk. So I'm sure that there are many people who are big mad over the idea that Korg and Korg species come from two dads and that, uh, you know, this was sprung on the audience. Uh, who I didn't know that was going to be in the movie. I mean, they're rock creatures, so I don't really think you can object to how they procreate because they're aliens. Nobody ever mentioned how they procreate. But, you know, this is something I think that Taika Waititi knew exactly what he was doing uh, when he wrote that. And that I don't mind because it's just silly and it's dumb and I laughed at it. But Marvel did do something and they've done it quite often where you had the Lady Thor moment with Gore the God Butcher where he calls her Lady Thor and then Natalie Portman has this big scene of just like, it's Mighty Thor or Jane Foster. And then she has the big laugh line, eat my hammer thing. That grates on me a little bit just because it's so on the nose. I think that the best revenge against people that had a problem with Natalie Portman playing Mighty Thor is to write her as a great character, which by the way, I think that she is. I think that even with my issues with how they treated Jane's character as far as the story structure, I think that she was great and I still like Jane. But instead of just allowing that to sort of be the best revenge, which is to write a great character, it's like, no, we have to address the internet trolls directly. And it's like, I, I just don't think that accomplishes anything. I think it almost takes people out of the movie, and I just don't really know what is achieved by that, is to be like, ha, gotcha, trolls. I would prefer if they just wrote a great character and let the people who are big mad about it just be big mad about it and go, you know, sulk in a corner or whatever. I didn't think it was necessary to take time out of the movie uh, to address it specifically. And also, if you're going to do it, I thought it was an odd choice to have Gore be the one that calls her Lady Thor. I think it would have been much more appropriate to have Zeus say it, because Zeus is the one that seems very dismissive and would look down on her a little bit more and would perhaps not acknowledge the fact that she was actually uh, a Thor and not just some pretender. Um, it just seemed like, oh, we want to have this big climactic battle moment where like she beats Gore and punches the trolls in the face at the same time. Um, so if you're going to do it, it also seemed weird to have Gore just all of a sudden have an issue uh, with, with 
with Jane and calling her Lady Thor. I made some comments in my non-spoiler review about not really feeling like any of the characters were really in that much peril. And a lot of people were kind of pointing back and say like, well, what about Jane? Jane dies in this movie, but does she? Because I should have felt very moved at Jane's death. And yet part of me in my head, I was like, yeah, but she's not really gone. And sure enough, by the end of the end credits, there's Natalie Portman back on screen. She's in Valhalla with Heimdall. And, you know, I guess it's up to interpretation. Some people have said like, oh, this is kind of a send off for their characters in the Thor franchise. To me, it means that they're basically leaving the door open to whenever the next Thor movie is. If Idris Elba and Natalie Portman are free, then it's like, oh, I found a portal to Valhalla. And then now here come Jane and Heimdall and they're back now. It just kind of underscores an issue that Marvel's had where, and they've done this from the very beginning, you kill somebody but they're not really dead or you're going to find a way to bring them back or now it's a multiverse and you can bring in a different version of them or oh yeah that's Mr. Fantastic but not really that's Professor X but not really maybe we'll use them maybe we won't it really makes me hope that Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans stick to their guns and don't come back to this franchise because otherwise it's going to start feeling like a soap opera it's gonna start feeling like there are no stakes. And, you know, soap operas were popular for decades because people could come and go as they pleased. But for my personal sensibility, like, I do feel like there needs to be actual lasting stakes. And I did feel like these in credit scenes were a way of the MCU to tell us, like, oh, don't worry. Jane's not really gone. But I feel like she sort of should be if you're gonna kill her, right? There's a weird paradox going on with the look of this movie in that I think that the Shadow Realm had a really cool design, the way that the colors were washed out until you had the sort of godly light and then the colors would come back in. I thought that the design of Omnipotent City as far as just everything kind of floating around was really cool. But the characters themselves, I thought, had a very stagey, when I say stagey, I mean like very brightly lit, look it looks very digital like it was shot for hd tv and we've seen this in a lot of marvel movies lately apparently they shot a lot of this movie on the volume which is their sound stage that they've used for mandalorian and disney plus stuff where you project images behind them on these big led screens and then you shoot them against those images and there are other movies i think the batman used the same technology but they used it a little bit differently because they tweak the lighting to match the setting that's on the led screens here it just looks like they're shooting in a digital television studio and I think that the volume and stuff like that work for some scenes but I also think that you do need to do things like go out and find locations and even have a little bit more style to your cinematography and not just give everything the same washed out look that I think a lot of Marvel shows and, and Star Wars shows have had in the last couple years. And a lot of people have said like, well, it's because of COVID. It's because they haven't been able to go out. You can't shoot on location as much. And, and I think that that's true to some degree. But we've also had uh, shows like Moon Knight. I thought that Moon Knight, which I'm sure was shot partially on the volume, had its own style and didn't look like the same generic Marvel show that we've seen over and over and over again. So I think that you can achieve uh, the look, a very filmic look and a very unique look in the Marvel era. I also think it's easy to shoot on the volume. It's easy to just kind of light everything very bright and say, well, this is the look of the movie. I just feel like it's the same look that a lot of other movies and TV shows have had. And the more you make movies that look and feel the same, the more they are gonna, well, look and feel the same. So just some scattered notes overall for the movie. One scene that I should not have liked 
and I, I could see another version of myself kind of rolling my eyes at was the scene where he gives the kids the power of Thor and they fight against the shadow creatures. And this is where, first of all, I love the style of that scene. I thought it was shot very much differently from the rest of the movie. And then, you know, the music, I mean, he had everything from Guns N' Roses, but particularly that music cue, which I think was the solo from November Rain, uh, was very well used. And it, it very much tapped into what I thought was very fresh about Thor Ragnarok. And then I just thought some of the visual gags uh, were funny. So that was a scene where if you described it to me going in, I would have said like, oh God, I'm not going to like that. But I did end up liking it. It's always great to see Tessa Thompson in a movie. So I'm not going to complain if you put Valkyrie in any film. I did think her character was a little wasted. And I don't mean wasted like the way that she was, you know, in Thor Ragnarok. I just mean like her character wasn't really utilized to its full potential, which sucks because I was kind of looking forward to her storyline, the idea that she's sort of stuck in this bureaucracy and uh, is, is eager to get back to this ways of the warrior I think maybe that was the Valkyrie that would have been in either the Zeus Olympian version of this movie or the Mighty Thor comedy uh, action version of this movie instead she was just sort of there they use her as a vehicle for yet another death fake out almost basically the exact identical death fake out that we had with Tobey Maguire and then she sidelined for the finale completely so that's a character that I wish we could have made better use of Sif also came back, sort of. She was in the very beginning of the movie and then was just kind of like in the hospital and then was training people at the very end of the movie. I, I think that it really is a symptom more of the fact that Taika Waititi obviously has no interest whatsoever in Sif and the Warriors 3. Because when you go back to the first Thor movie, like they were Thor's best friends. They were like, other than Loki, they were like his his brothers, like the closest friends in the world. And then in Thor Ragnarok, they're just killed off completely unceremoniously. And then in the flashbacks for this movie, Korg is like, yeah, and then that guy died and that guy died. It's obvious that this is not a part of the Thor mythology that Taika Waititi cares about, which is okay. It's just... It's going to be interesting for people that are going back and starting from the beginning to see how important they are at the beginning of Thor's story. And yet by this point, they're just like, oh, yeah, whatever. They're over there. So going forward into the next movie, it seems like we have Thor and his daughter Love. So another, as I was saying, kind of hero and kid dynamic, which, yeah, okay. And, and Hercules, if you are bringing Brett Goldstein in, if you're going to save him for that movie, then it seems like you're going to, again, keep going with this Olympus type thing and perhaps bringing Russell Crowe back, which is okay. That's that's fine. Honestly, there's no guarantee that that's what the storyline's going to be because we don't know where the MCU is going to be in two or three or four or however many years. These could just be loose story threads that never get picked up. Maybe that's why I'm just a little dim on the MCU right now. I don't mean dim like I don't get it. Dim kind of like my enthusiasm has waned. First of all, I'm watching it pretty much all the time now because I do want to keep up with the shows, partly because I have this channel and partly just because I want to see all of these different heroes and what their stories are going to be, but I haven't really been blown away by a lot of them. And the movies, especially when you go back, I loved Spider-Man No Way Home, but the ones basically since Black Widow, I've all been kind of in the middle on either a little bit positive or a little bit negative, but not really enthusiastic about any of them. And, and it really sucks because I'm a huge Marvel fan, always have been, and I think that the MCU put together a string of great movies. And I think that it's partially, yes, because I've gotten used to the movies and they feel uh, very familiar and it's harder to surprise me, but I also really do think they're just not as good as they used to be. And maybe part of it is that you're churning out product like constantly, movies and TV shows and just everybody's attention is split and you're trying to plan three steps ahead. I know that COVID had a big impact as far as having to shuffle the order. So perhaps this is just a post-pandemic rough patch, 
But I think just looking at the audience scores, I mean, looking at cinema score, this movie got a B plus. Only a few Marvel films have gotten below an A cinema score, and I think like three or four of them have all come out in the last year. So whether it's post-pandemic stuff, whether it's that people are getting used to the formula, whether they're making too many things, whatever it is, I think Marvel really does have to take a hard and close look at itself because obviously something has changed. Something is changing with the audience relationships, particularly with the Marvel movies that are coming out in theaters. And you do have to address that. You can't just say like, well, they're just getting used to it. Well, if they are, then that means you've got to try something different. You have to shake things up. And yes, you just had, as I mentioned in my non-spoiler review, a bit of a failure with the audience at least, or let's say a very polarizing movie with Eternals. I'm not going to say a failure, but it was a movie that people were very much, uh, very much for because it was different, or perhaps didn't like it as much because it was so starkly different. Or, you know, in my case, I just thought it was kind of a dull movie either way. But you do have to keep trying things and taking risks because I don't think that more of the same is an effective strategy for Marvel. Taika Waititi is a very distinctive filmmaker, and it really did kind of surprise me that he would make a movie like this that felt so kind of stale and flat throughout most of its runtime. And if a Thor movie can't stand out from the pack, at least in my opinion, then I think it is systemic of perhaps a larger problem. So yeah, those are my thoughts on Thor Love and Thunder. I mean, just kind of a very eh movie. I'll probably buy it when it goes on sale maybe at some point, maybe not, I don't know. What do you think? Is Marvel going through a bit of a slump? Are they just making the same movies they always have, we're just getting used to it? Or is this just something that I didn't like, but you think is just as great as everything else that's come out? Let me know down in the comments below. And as always, if you wanna see even more of what I'm up to, you can check me out on Patreon at patreon.com slash Dan Merle. I'll also be back right here on the channel this week as we talk about the box office for Thor Love and Thunder. I'm working on some other reviews and news stuff. And uh, as we get to to the midpoint of summer movie season. I'm trying to plan beyond with some really fun stuff coming up, so I hope you'll stick around for that. Thank you so much for watching. Thanks to Skillshare for sponsoring today's video. Until next time, stay safe, and I'll see you then. Bye.